I have so many ideas that I want to write about that I get very stuck as to where do I start and what story do I want to tell first because everything sort of hinges on something else. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. Long friendships are golden. To have someone you know and not judge you through decades of crazy decisions, wild times, sadness, and of course, triumph is priceless. Today, I wanted to honor on the show the value of long friendships. And so I have in studio my best friend of 32 years, Ariel Doggett from my old stomping ground, Boston. Good morning. It's wonderful to have you. Good morning, Kim. It is wonderful to be here. I'm not going to get into the details of our illicit bonding on the Emerson <laughs> College campus, but let's just say it involved innovative solutions for rolling papers and cookie dough. Fair enough. We met in a film class doing Super 8 film. We did. And I guess that goes to that being so many years ago. So many years ago. Wow, did I just age us? terribly. Yeah, you did. <laughs> to be young and carefree and wild again, right? Oh, I don't know. I think we still have that nailed pretty well. <laughs> Maybe not the young part, but the carefree and wild. Young at heart. Yes. We always have young intentions. We do. And sometimes, you know, we don't act our age, so we're still children. <laughs> so your life in the 32 years that I've known you has had a lot of challenges that you've surmounted. You know, you're my hero. And one was the birth of your son, Will, and how he almost coded in your arms after being diagnosed with RSV. Do you want to tell us a little bit of that story? It's really just an incredible tale. Sure. He was um, he was born four weeks early, relatively healthy, spent um, 12 days in the NICU. And then we went home to Nantucket where we lived and I noticed he was breathing kind of funny. So I brought him to the local ER and, um, you know, was placated by the doctors there until I eventually snapped and yelled at him. And long story short, Will got med flighted to Children's Hospital in Boston where they said he wouldn't have made it through the night had he not been there. And um he had this respiratory virus that just decimated his lungs and it took, he was there for three months. Um, he ended up on a bypass system. He had a stroke, but the end result is he is a little miracle and he is alive and thriving and just turned 16 and is uh, a healthy teenage boy. Wow. And I remember just talking to you when you just had run out of things to do in that hospital. Like you were like, I can't walk these halls another minute yet. Every day you got up and did it again. I did. I stayed there with him. When I got on the med flight, um, I told my then husband, I said, well, I'll be back when he comes back. Never imagining in my wildest dreams, it would be three months from then. Um, and I did, I lived in the hospital and there was days I, 
you know, asked the doctor, do you still think he's going to make it? And when they said, I can't answer that, those were the days I literally didn't leave his side. So. Wow. It's, it's almost like we're in this again with COVID-19 in terms of a virus, you know, and people maybe not making it and the doctors and nurses that have to stay by their side. And you were that person that had to advocate for him constantly. And you had a daughter at that time. Is that correct? Yep, I did. She was two and a half at the time. And it was really tough because, you know, I was her world at that point. And in the middle of the night, I disappeared and I was gone. And she knew that, you know, mommy was with her brother and her brother was really sick. And uh, she came up a couple of times to visit. And it was so stressful because I so wanted to see her and cherish these times with her. Um, But I was afraid to leave my son thinking, okay, well, what if he's not there when I come back? So the amount of stress at trying to juggle and split time between two kids and kind of separate worlds at the moment was really challenging. It was, it was really challenging. And then you got through that and then something occurred that, you know, I, you know, I think you should write a book about this. I mean, your whole life could be a book. We know that, but (laughs) you took action on a knowing you had for a long time, much later in life that you were gay. Do you want to tell the listeners about that bold stepping out? So I always liked women and I knew there was something there. When I was 13, um, I had a friend over and just like I had this insane crush um, on her and didn't really understand fully what it was and had a conversation with my mom and was immediately shut down. Times were pretty different back then. And, you know, it was, well, you know, that's not the way it works. You date somebody, you get married, you have children, you're with a man, period. So I never brought it up to her again. And my, my husband at the time knew I was interested in women and we used to jokingly pick out women and say, you know, they were good looking and all of that. Um, and on my birthday one year, he asked what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I want to go dancing. I want to drink and I want to kiss women. And he's like, that's great. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) it was, it was wonderful. And then I just, I got to this point in my life where I realized I need to live for who I am and I can't live for anybody else. Um, And I'm not going to hold back who I am anymore because I get to live a life too. And I get to be happy. And, you know, some parts of it were done right. And some parts of it were definitely not done right. Um, But ultimately, yeah, I'm, you know, came out and it was accepted by my family and my friends and it feels very authentically me. And it's like a piece of me has now settled and is calm and is comfortable. And it feels, it feels like home, which was never the case when I was with men. And of course, I believe I was the first person you called when it wasn't being done correctly. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. We've had so many conversations like that where, I mean, I value your friendship so much. I have to say to know that at any minute, no matter what time or what chaos is going on, I can call you and just be like, I need to vent and just let fly with any of the ridiculous that's going on. And there's never judgment. It's always met with a calmness and, okay, well, let's, let's walk through this, you know, and <laughs> you, you bring a little bit of calm and some reason. And sometimes, you know, you jump right on board with a hell yeah. Um, 
So it's part of the wonderfulness of our relationship. Yes, it's so true. And I think it just, I think one person is always more crazy than the other person at the time. So it works out really well. <laughs> yes, that's good. It's a good balance there. So what happens when you do write? Have you tried to write? I mean, we met in a creative forum so many decades ago. And have you, have you ever thought about writing a book? I have. And I think part of the problem is I have so many ideas that I want to write about that I get very stuck as to where do I start and what story do I want to tell first? Because everything sort of hinges on something else. So I I came to this decision the other day, you and I had had a phone call and we had talked about writing and talked about how to get started. And you had said something very interesting about there's always a moment that sort of is the start for everything. And it's not always the moment you think it's going to be. Sometimes it's something different. And I was like, okay, so I put, I did a mind map and started with me in the middle. Cause I was like, basically it's all, it's all about me. So I, I started there and then drew all these things around it and just kept letting all the words flow and the feelings just to see where it went. And I was like, okay, so the story I need to start with before I can do anything else is the story of me. So that's, wow. I think, where I'm going to start. I gave you that advice. Wow, I'm kind of impressed with myself. You did. <laughs> and I wish for the life of me I could remember what it was because it, it was a word that you used. And that word is what sparked all of this for me. But it was, you know, basically a precipitating moment that was just like that split second that right. starts the tale. No matter where the story ends up, there's a starting point that kicked it off. Wonderful. And I love this whole idea of mind mapping. This is a, a, a concept that I might need to learn more from you about for clients that <clears throat> even might need that before they outline, you know, just to sit down and do like a, a circle with ideas. And, and like you said, the emotions mm-hmm. attached to it. It's a phenomenal way to get started, especially when you're stuck and you just don't know why to take one word and just start with it in the middle and just let it go and let everything kind of spike off of that. And you might find that, you know, there's one arrow that goes to something and then you're building off of that. And then you know that that's your story right there is wherever it's led you. So it's a, it's a visual way that's very helpful. Um, I've used it for photography, but for writing, it's incredibly helpful. Very, very cool. Very cool. And hopefully that'll help some of the listeners that are struggling and looking for ways to, to lean into their book. So mm-hmm. you're all settled. You're you've come out. Your son is in the you know the clear, and you're back at your family home that you've worked so hard to have, and the roof caves in, and you have no home for six years. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? It yeah, it literally the roof caved in. It you know I went through this horrific divorce and then sickness with my son, and you know I've got a daughter who's a couple of years older than him and. She was having some emotional issues because of all the stress. And then we have this colossal, <clears throat> excuse me, this colossal winter here in New England where we got, you know, 9,000 feet of snow and everybody's homes were crushed. And my house, literally the roof bowed and I had water damage on the inside that I didn't even know about. They came in. Um, I was on a a conference call at my table. My kids were at school. The guys came in to assess the damage and the guy said, oh, excuse me, 
you know, you're going to have to move out. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in your way. I'll move to a different room. He's like, no, you have water damage throughout your entire home and structural damage. You need to move out of your home. Wow. And 24 hours later, every single thing my kids and I owned was in storage pods in our driveway. And we were in a hotel and we were in the hotel for three months. And then we were in transitional housing Meanwhile, my kids, you know, transitioned into middle school and high school in the middle of all this, um, and then fighting with insurance and trying to rebuild my home. And it took uh, three years, a little over three years from when we had to move out to when we actually got to move back in to our home. And it was an unbelievable uphill battle fight the entire way. I remember there were a couple times that you thought that this, it was over, like you had lost, Mm -hmm. you were going to lose your house. You know, you were living in some, you were living in some pink house. We were, (laughs) (laughs) who paints their house pink? First of all, anyone that's listening that has a pink house, I apologize, but really it just, um, it was like a Pepto pink color. And there was times when I'm like, if I can't, I couldn't sell my house because it was, you know, basically the entire thing was gutted and it wasn't structurally sound. So I couldn't sell it, which meant that I couldn't get money back for it and I owed money on it. So the literally the only thing I could have done is declared bankruptcy, which would have completely wiped me out. And then I wouldn't have been able to get a home. I wouldn't have had a place for my kids to live. I would have lost my kids. And I'm like, you know, in tears. And I know I had these conversations with you where I called and just to be so defeated and not know where to go. And I'm like, my kids are my life. Like, I don't have a home for them. And that insane stress and worry is just overwhelming. It's just to not have a place to put roots down, especially Mm -hmm. when, you know, there's been a, a lifetime. I mean, this seems like this is your your karma, your challenge, your greatest lessons here on this <laughs> earth is to really resiliently push through a you know radical upheaval because mm-hmm. it's it's something you've gotten good at. How do you think that you've benefited from all these challenges? Well, I guess I know now how strong I am. And even when I'm at the absolute bottom, I mean, there was times when, I mean, not only did I feel like I was underwater, but I felt like I was at the bottom of the ocean, like being just boiled in the waves and the air being sucked out of me. And I'm like, I just don't have anything left. And it's like, at those those times, I'd literally say, okay, all you need to do is breathe in and then breathe out. And it's like, okay, you made it through that. Take another breath in, take another breath out. And even if you're holding your breath, cause you're like, I don't think I can breathe in. Eventually you take that breath or you exhale. And it's like, okay, I made it through that. And just to take it second by second until you can take it minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And it gets a little bit easier. And the option for me wasn't to give up because I don't know, it's just not who I am, I guess. But just yeah, to keep going. It's that New England resilience. I think it's it in is, a lot of and us. I. It is. I have to say, one of the greatest gifts I got from my son being sick is 
there was a time he was in the hospital and he was so sick and it was before he ended up on like the, the heart lung bypass machine, but he was so sick and, you know, thanks to social media, everybody was talking about my son and everything. And I wasn't providing information yet. And a good friend of mine called me and said, I'm so glad that he is doing better. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and at that moment, for whatever reason, the words to me, she wasn't doing it to be unkind. She honestly thought he was better. I was like, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And I don't care what they think about me because all that matters is what I think about me. And like this giant weight lifted off of me. I'm like, I didn't care anymore. And not in a bad way, like I would go do bad things, but like if somebody doesn't like me now, I, I don't care. I honestly don't care. I'm curious sometimes why, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change who I am as a person. And if I like who I am, I answer to me and I'm okay with it. So that was one of the greatest, greatest gifts. I love to hear that you're stepping into that. And you had mentioned that to me the other day that you even sometimes will say to people, so like, what, what, I, I don't feel like you like me very much without yeah. needing their approval, without needing their approval, just out of, you know, human curiosity. Like we're all wondering signals mm -hmm. get crossed so easily, you know, and yep. <clears throat> I agree with you on that. You know, I'm really done caring what other people think about the way that I operate or the way that I think or how I love or how I even just want to do a podcast or where I want to mm -hmm. go for fun. Like I, I, I have so much work to do to stay in alignment with what Kim wants that mm -hmm. I can't even be bothered with the noise around me that's going to take me away from my bigger goal. Right. Right. And that's one of the things that you and I do to each other where, I mean, we don't always agree we're human, but there's always that level of respect. And when you say something, you know, I'll blaze out and I'm like, you know, this is what's going on and rah, rah, rah. And you're like, okay, let's take a minute and look at that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to listen to what Kim has to say, whether I agree or not will be okay. Cause we know we can get through this. And but you have that way of saying it. And I'm like, that's a very interesting take. I hadn't thought of it like that. And that kind of thing is, I mean, to me, it's so exciting to how other people think. And I'm very curious about other people. And that's sort of the way I grow. And I'm okay with if I don't agree with it. I'm like, all right, well, that works for you. I respect your feeling, but I'm a pass on that one. Exactly. It's like a yes and, and then option to, you know, divert basically. Right. Um, <laughs> which is a healthy, healthy relationship. And, you know, I, I think it's funny because we didn't like each other when we first met. Um, we and did people, not. We did not. And people who don't gel often never hang out. But when, when we were talking about the other day, you said, well, you were obviously meant to be in my life. And absolutely. It's so true because I don't know how I could have gotten through most of my hardships and I'm feeling emotional about that without knowing that I had, even though you weren't ge geographically near me, sometimes I couldn't get you on the phone or, or, or it wasn't the time to call, but just knowing in my soul that I had a non-judgmental person mm -hmm. in my life who knew every aspect of me, who wasn't mm -hmm. going to hold that against me, got me through like everything. Yep. Yep. I feel the same way, you know, to just know that there's that person. I mean, even 
I mean, there's times I call you and I know you can't answer, but I mean, we have these epic conversations with each other's voicemails on a regular <laughs> basis. Yes, and it's just like, I mean, I live for them because I never know what's coming when I open it. It could be like, you know, sad Kim, happy Kim, mad Kim. And, um, you know, sometimes there's three messages in a row and I listen to nine minutes of you and then process it and call you back. And sometimes I know you've worked through it and that's, even another level of amazingness to our relationship is I could call you and talk to your voicemail. And sometimes it's like, okay, I've just talked to Kim. I feel better knowing that you're going to listen. So great. It's so great. Well, I hope that anybody that's listening reaches out to that great friend that they've had for all that time that they haven't spoken to it for a while and cherish those relationships. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Ariel. This is an absolute pleasure. I absolutely love you to pieces and cherish and value our relationship. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at astoryinside.com.